Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody. Thanks for sharing your time with us. We want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Please check him out on the internet. He's a native storyteller and he is an amazing man who tells amazing stories about history and cosmology that go back generations. It's an amazing way of keeping track of history, so check him out. Mark has an amazing guest also tonight, so I'm really looking forward to his show. There's a lot of great material that's going to be shared, so I hope you're like me and have sat back with your pencil and paper to take notes and be entertained and enlightened all at the same time. Mark, the show is all yours. Okay. Hold my beer. I'll show you how you do this. How are you doing? <laughs> doing well. Doing well. <laughs> I, 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 you and Solaris had a... Uh, Great show last night. Our guest we did. is. It was a, yeah, she's she's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, our, our uh, I guess tonight's uh, been a guest with her too. So uh, you, know, you know, Gary knows her as well, and you know, she's you know, just we're uh, really one of the best hosts out there. So. Um, she is. Yeah, so, she is that. Yeah, yeah she is. Uh, yeah, we have another ancient aliens commentator joining us tonight. Uh, we'll be covering the Hopi in or from Arizona. Uh, you know, you've probably figured out that our guest is Gary David. He is the author of the very insightful book on the Hopi culture, The Orion Zone. Uh, Gary's latest book is the Orion Dimension. Uh, we're going to be working out of a couple more of his historical publications too. Hopefully, we get uh, have enough time uh, to get a little bit of a reading uh, out of one book. You know, I, we just have a lot of written material to get through tonight. Uh, and G Gary's numerous books uh, can be found on Amazon. Uh, you know, uh, one of the books 
uh, will also be you know, working from a little bit is uh, Journey of the Serpent People. That's a uh, little, you know, that was printed uh, just a couple years ago. But, you know, that's going to be another one we're going to be working out of. So, you know, I just want to uh, bring on Gary. Hi, Gary. How are you? Hi, Mark. Glad to be here. Hi, Barbara. Good to be here. Great to great to talk to you. No, we're we're glad to have you. Uh, I, um, I've never been to Arizona. Um, you do a great job of creating descriptions of the land. You have wonderful photos uh, in, in your book. Um, so, you know, for those of us who have not been uh, to Arizona or have have not uh, read your book, uh, let's just start off by looking at the geography uh, first, and uh, uh, would be a good starting place. And I think we're going to be getting and in, involved in putting all kinds of topographical features on top of your descriptions. So uh, Mm. uh, let's begin there. Okay. Northern Arizona. Arizona is a varied place uh, climatically and geographically. And, you know, it's, it's so different in different parts of the state. Um, In Northern Arizona, you have um, uh, around the Flagstaff area, you have, um, twelve uh, twelve thousand foot mountain that gets a lot of snow in the winter and it snows many feet in the winter time and blizzards and, and that whole thing. But you you come down to the lower deserts in in the southern part of the state where I am right now I'm near Tucson, uh, Arizona, and uh, you know like I I was telling Mark and Barbara uh, today it was um, you know a hundred degrees today and it's supposed to be a hundred and four tomorrow so. You know, and it's only, and it's not even it's not even May yet. So you know, the, <laughs> Arizona can really uh, be challenging. Um, you know, d- depending on where you're at, um, it gets cool at night, especially in the higher elevations, and but very hot mm-hmm. in the daytime. And you know, I guess what drew me uh, to this place is, is the landscape itself, because it's you can uh, look out and, uh, and the land kind of telescopes outward. As you look towards the horizon, you know, it's um, you know you can you can see if you're driving down the road, you can see forever. You know you can you can see the buttes and mesas in the distance, and um, you know some of your your listeners might be familiar with Monument Valley, those those spectacular mm-hmm. buttes that that uh, are in the northern part of the state. So, um, you know it's just uh, it's just a varied landscape and. Um, in this landscape, uh, there are a number of Native American tribes. Um, I, I uh, concentrate mostly on the Hopi, though also the Zuni, uh, which is in uh, Pueblo in New Mexico. And um, there are different uh, different tribes. The Navajo also live in, in Arizona and New Mexico. So um, there are different tribes. A lot of Native influence in this um, in this state. 
Uh, the Tahana Odom, Odom uh, live in the southern part of the state. Uh, they used to call it the uh, the, the Papago people. So, um, you know, it's a it's a, an amazing amazing mixture of um, of Native American peoples who were here thousands of years ago and um, kind of shaped the 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 legends and mythology of this place according to to the land because the land. Is a main. It's in in um, Native American religion. Land is is key. Is paramount to mm-hmm. understanding uh, the the creator or the or the the great spirit or whatever you want to call it. You know, the land is very important. If you don't have the land, you don't you know you're you you don't have anything. Uh, mm-hmm. According to Native American religion, and. Um, so uh, you know, it's been I've I've been here since 1994 with my family. We moved down from South Dakota, which is another place with a lot of Native American influence. Um, maybe I should go back go back that far because really my my whole um, thrust of my work began in South Dakota. Um, I was working with the Lakota Sioux, which uh, lives in the um, in the west, mostly the western part of South Dakota, and I was teaching on Pine Ridge Reservation, teaching English, and also on the Rosebud Reservation, and I was teaching at uh, Oglala Lakota College, and um, you know, just uh, just kind of studying that culture, uh, Lakota culture, and uh, going to some of the ceremonies, the sun dance, and participating in sweat lodges and, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, things like that, you know, pipe ceremonies. So a sacred mm-hmm. pipe I'm talking about, you know. Um, so, you know, and um, I I happened to meet with a woman named Charlotte Black Elk. And Charlotte Black Elk was the great-granddaughter of Nicholas Black Elk, which um, – uh, uh, Black Elk wrote a famous uh, a classic of American literature called Black Elk Speaks, and he wrote this um, with the help of the poet, uh, Nebraska poet, John G. Nyhart. And uh, it talks about, um, he, he was a um, late 19th century, early 20th century medicine man um, who lived and prayed in South Dakota. And um, I met his great-granddaughter. And she, at the time, she she was um, talking about a, um, a a map that she had on a buffalo hide. And mm-hmm. this ma- the, the, the Black Hills is, is the center. They are the center of Lakota cosmology. Um, the Black Hills is the center of the world, according to uh, Lakota. Um, Harney Peak, uh, we call it Black Elk Peak. It's been officially uh, named Black Elk Peak now. Uh, but it's the highest point um, in South Dakota. It's uh, 7,242 7, feet. And it's the highest point um, um, east of the Rockies and west of the Pyrenees uh, in uh, in Europe. So that's <laughs> basically the highest highest mountain, uh, you, the first high mountain you come to uh, are the Black Hills. Um, so, um, and the Lakota uh, had kind of a whole mythology built around this place, the Black Hills. And they conceived the Black Hills as a, a great terrestrial buffalo. And they would they would go around and do ceremonies at certain times of the year 
and they do a, a special ceremony at one place and then they migrate to another place and they kind of make a, a big circle around the Black Hills and also inside of the Black Hills. Uh, one of the places that they did a Sundance ceremony, the major summer ceremony, is a Devil's Tower, which, of course, um, was made famous by uh, the Close Encounters uh, right. of, of the third kind, kind movie. So, you know, um, they... They it's, it had a special meaning this this whole landscape there and they they conceptualized it as it's a great buffalo, but also uh, using the 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 maxim as above so below they also conceived a great constellation that mirrored the Black Hills or the Black Hills mirrored this constellation, and the constellation was um, comprised of Orion and the Pleiades, and uh, Canis Major. So um, they, they, they saw um, the belt stars of Orion, for instance, as the backbone of this great celestial buffalo. And the, um, the nose of this buffalo would be the Pleiades in, in the constellation Taurus. Um, the tail of this buffalo would be Sirius, which is the brightest star in the heavens. And um, in in Canis Major, so um, they they had this as above, so below concept, and that's the first time I had come across this concept of you know the the um, the Earth mirroring the sky, or the conceptualization, the cosmology that these native peoples built up through the through the ages um, that that it, it mirrored the, the heavens, and um, the you know the star people. Are said to have come down from the heavens, and and mm-hmm. they were the ancestors and the teachers. The star ancestors came down from these uh, places, uh, mainly Orion. You know, I, I'll get into this in greater detail when I talk about the Hopi, um, the Hopi of Arizona. But um, you know that that planted in my mind this idea of as above, so below. So when I moved down to to Arizona. Um, in 1994, my family and I rented a big yellow truck and and put all our stuff in our in our truck and just drove south. We didn't really know where we were going to end up, um, but um, you know we we managed to come to northern Arizona. Uh, something drew us here to northern Arizona, and we've been here ever since. Uh, to in the state of Arizona, and um, you know, I started going to the Hopi Reservation, which is in the northern part of the state. Um, and um, the, the Hopi—I should describe the Hopi—they um, are basically farmers. They were traditionally agrarian people, that uh, they were dry farmers. In fact, they didn't use much irrigation. Uh, some of the they used a little bit of like the dams. They make little dams, check dams, and so forth. But they didn't do any major irrigating. They they depended mostly on runoff of um, of the the winter rains and and the summer rains. And um, you know the Hopi um, live on three primary mesas. In, in northern Arizona, for, they call it first, second, and third Mesa. And there are about a dozen villages, separate villages, 
um, both at the base of these mesas and on top of the mesas. And they live in these, um, I called them pueblos before, and, and these are, a pueblo is basically a, a stone apartment complex, an ancient stone apartment complex mm-hmm. and that, the, that the Hopi built. Um, you know, they would, um, they, they built these all over Arizona, but mainly in the center place, this, the center place, um, they saw this. Um, as the center of the world, much much like the Lakota in South Dakota would conceptualize the center of the world, the sacred center of the world, as Harney Peak in the Black Hills. Um, the, the Hopi see, see these three mesas as their center. That's, they were drawn to this place. And they were drawn, um, it's kind of uh, interesting the way they came together because they came from different directions. The Hopi migrated in different clans, and they they migrated from different directions. Some came up from the south, others came from the east, some came down from the north, and, and of course, from the west, and they all came together at this center place. So, you know, it's it's amazing, and and the Hopi still um, have these clans that um, are active. The Hopi also continue to do their ceremonies. Um, although the, it's uh, it's getting kind of um, shaky right now, I'll, I'll talk about uh, maybe a little bit about prophecy and and the end of the of the current world. But um, okay, yeah, but um, you know the the Hopi still do these ceremonies, um, these um, Kachina dances. Um, some of your listeners might be familiar with the Kachina dolls that the Hopi have carved. Uh, these are masked. Dolls and uh, the Kachinas, um, when they dance, um, they dance in the village plaza, uh, and they start. Uh, they start about this time of year, about uh, in full force around uh, March or April. They start dancing in the plazas with these masks, and the masks are of different sorts. Um, they're wooden masks carved out of cottonwood and um they they're painted in in various colors and uh, it's hard to describe them because they're so multifaceted they're they're just um it's um it's it's you know you, if you google kachinas uh, you can see uh, just an, a a wide array of these bizarre looking creatures you know <laughs> um you know that you wouldn't expect the some of them are not naturalistic at all. Um, some of them are. Some of them are in the shape of an eagle or, you know, a bear or something like that. But others, uh, they look like they're wearing space helmets, you know. They, they, mm-hmm. actually, they actually look like, you know, they're extraterrestrials. And, um, you know, it's it's a very bizarre thing. that they And they dance in the plaza and they dance from sundown to sunup, uh, from sunup to sundown. All day long in the in the hot Arizona sun, and uh, the, the drone of the of the single drum, um, and they uh, they dance around in the, in a circle in, within the plaza, and uh, it's you know it's for me it's like they're they're pressing their prayers with their feet into the earth and sending the their prayers into the earth to, to get this earth energy and and so. So the corn will grow, and the Hopi grow traditionally grew corn, beans, and squash, kind of mm-hmm. the, the, tri- the triad of um, 
culture. And you know, the the corn was imported uh, from from Mexico, so perhaps some of the Hopi clans from Mexico came up and introduced corn to this to this region. Um, but you know, the, the corn has been grown in um, in Mexico and and uh, Central America for you know thousands of years. And um, the Hopi still grow corn and beans and squash, and uh, some watermelon and and things like that. But they still carry on the tradition of this agricultural tradition and the ceremonial tradition in the same way. So um, you know, it's it's a it's a culture that's kind of on the edge right now. As a lot of Native American cultures are, because we're. Um, we're being bombarded by by the the mainstream world, my the uh, the main culture, and uh, the economic prospects on reservations are very very uh, poor. Um, a lot of alcohol alcoholism and um, even drug abuse in more recent years. Um, but um, you know, it's it's kind of a sad uh, devolution of. Uh, great tradition, but uh, this is all part of of hope, the Hopi way of looking at worlds in cycles, um, much like the Maya of Central America in the uh, Yucatan region. Uh, the Hopi saw time as cyclic, and um, they they considered that we're now living in the fourth world. Uh, really at the end of the fourth world. And um, they have a lot of prophetic signs um, that that show this and um, that talk about this. Um, but, um, you know, we've lived through uh, destruction of the first world, the destruction of the second world by various means, and uh, the destruction of the third world also, and uh, they think that very, very soon that we're going to go into to the fifth world. We're going to transition into the fifth world. So um, this this time might be the portal. Might, it might be the portal because there are so many things coming together at this particular time. In 2020, in particular, you know, this the world has turned upside down in the last month. And um, yes. you know we're we're you know just um, trying to survive uh, psychologically and physically, and you know just trying to um, st- stay sane during this time of great uncertainty and great social unrest and chaos. And you know the Hopi uh, in their in their prophecies uh, they went down into Kivas and saw much. Uh, they foretold much of what is happening now, not only uh, the the social chaos, but um, also the environmental degradation that's that's going on all over the world. Um, you know, the the the, the massive forest fires um, recently in uh, Australia. You know, a billion mm-hmm. animals perished during during that time, and uh, you you just see uh, just kind of uh, the world is devolving. The, the the time is is kind of playing itself out, and the, the Hopi knew about this, and said that we have some very difficult times to go through, 
but um, we, you know, we will we will make it. You know, um, we will make it into the fifth world. That's the that the world of, of peace and greater understanding and greater uh, spiritual awakening amongst all peoples. So um, they 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 do believe that 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 we're going to be there, but it's going to be it's going to be a hard time that we seem to be going through right now. Yeah, Gary, uh, um, you know, as we keep going through uh, tonight's show, um, I, in your writings, uh, it seems like maybe the third world has. Uh, a lot of importance to our discussion. We're in the fourth world mm-hmm. now. There's a transition to the fifth world soon. And are and when you are writing about. You know the structure. You know you just mentioned, like uh, for, for example, the kivas. Um, mm-hmm. Are are these uh, kivas where uh, uh, th- these uh, stories are en- enacted as a uh, ritual for observers? You, 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 you're talking about. Uh, you, you, you did talk about how. Uh, you know, these uh, different dances. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it seems like they're very symbolic dances. Uh, you know, get, uh, you know, getting their feet uh, planted in the soil. Yeah. You know, okay, that makes sense. You know, uh, being connected to the earth. Uh, but it, are some of these structures uh, in Arizona, like the Kiva? Is, is that where? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a, a lot of the learning takes place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, good, good point. Uh, that that the kiva is basically an underground or or semi underground prayer chamber, and uh, you enter a kiva from above through a ladder in the roof of the kiva, and you go down, and it's as if you're going from the fourth world into the third world as you descend the ladder. And uh, a lot of the learning, especially in the winter time, when the non-agricultural time, when uh, when people are, are um, you know kind of bound to their their houses, so they they go down into the kiva, and they tell these stories. They they tell uh, a lot of the stories, and they they retell the myths that uh, happened in the early times. So. They tell these for the young people mainly, so so the young people will know these myths and will carry carry this tradition onward. Um, and um, you know, so this is the main learning time is is winter time uh, when the spring comes, and you know from spring until harvest time they're out they're out and uh, doing doing uh, practical things of growing corn, beans, and squash, and, and doing that sort of thing. Um, you know, the um, and doing their dances, doing the dances, um, the Kachina dances last from, like I said, March or April in the past until July, just after the summer solstice. Um, and in July, um, 
they have the last dance called the home dance. Now, the home dance means the home-going dance. And these particular kachinas, they're beautiful kachinas that have these, these huge, um, they call them tablitas, uh, these um, these crests on on their on their head, uh, painted in brilliantly colored uh, paint, uh, kind of step, uh, stepped wooden, um, I don't know, tableaus, I guess you, you could say. Um, and uh, they have these on their head and they dance around. There's a beautiful dance. And this is the last dance of the season. And they, the kachinas um, then leave and go back to uh, the San Francisco Peaks, which is southwest of the Hopi Mises. So the, the Kachinas live for half the year on the San Francisco Peaks, which are the highest mountains in Arizona. And then uh, after the winter solstice, they start to go back to the mesas, and um, they're there through February and then March. And like I say, they start the Kachina dance again in March. But the, there's a cycle of living in the mesas, these spirits, these messenger spirits, live for half a year on the mesas, and they help the, the agricultural um, process. They help the, the Hopi um, spiritually with the, their, their process of growing, growing the corn, basically corn. And, um, you know, then after, after the monsoon season hits in around July, um, they go back to these high peaks and they hover around the peaks all winter long um, and uh, through through the winter solstice and then then they, they go back to the mesas. So there's this constant flow of spiritual energy from from the high peaks to the to the Hopi mesas. So um but yeah, but you're right about the the kivas. It's a um the kivas on the Hopi reservation are primarily rectangular. Now, kivas in the past, uh, for some of the the very ancient kivas, were round kivas. So you you will find kivas, some round kivas in places like the the famous Chaco Canyon, the great city in in uh, Pueblo City in New Mexico, um, that have these uh, multiple round kivas. Um, I think I think the difference between that is um, the plaza, the rectangular plaza, began to to, to play a greater part in the in the spiritual um, well-being of the people. That that rectangular plaza, they dance in it. So I think the kivas kind of um, mirrored that rectangular uh, shape rather than the round shape that they originally were. Um, and I'm, I'm talking, uh, as far as the time span, I'm talking, um, you know, Chaco Canyon, which I can talk about in terms of my map, uh, but uh, Chaco Canyon basically was started in uh, like 850 A.D., um, this great city. It's uh, a very large um, uh, apartment complexes, uh, one complex in Chaco Canyon, New Mexico, had uh, 800 rooms called Pueblo Bonito, and wow. it was a large. It was the largest structure um, in America until like the 1880s, when New York built a, built a bigger apartment building. But it was the largest structure in North America 
you know, until 1880, you know, and it's just a massive place. You go out there and there's, you know, you're, you know, I, I don't like to use this term in the middle of nowhere because there's always somewhere in nowhere. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's always beautiful in, mm-hmm. in nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. It can be the most beautiful place on the earth. And this is just an amazing basin, the San Juan Basin that uh, Chaco Canyon is located in. It's uh, just an amazing, uh, amazing place that um, you know, these these great stone buildings just come out of nowhere if you approach them. And you wondered why they why they were living in this place, you know. There wasn't a, a regular stream, intermittent flow, water flow. Um, they 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 caught water that came off the cliff, the cliff sides um, the, of this canyon, and um, you just wonder why they would pick this particular place to settle and, and build such uh, build such a massive. Uh, a complex of structures with with kivas, the, the, the round kivas, and they had what, what's called great kivas, which were very large and uh, kind of uh, would hold uh, large ceremonies in these great kivas. And you can go go to these today and you know see what the the kiva look like. Um, there's a place a little north of Chaco Canyon called Aztec National Monument. It's a restored great kiva, and it, it's just beautiful because you can see what this this massive, yeah, huge beams that um, comprise that held the roof of this great kiva. This massive, uh, you know, like uh, three feet across these pine beams, and they had to, they had to, um, in, in the case of Chaco Canyon, they had to uh, transport these these uh beams uh more than more than 60 miles from the nearest uh, forest so they transported all these beams like uh, to over 200,000 beams uh, make up the 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 buildings in Chaco Canyon and the, these were basically the the ancestors of of the current Hopi who are living in Arizona now but uh, they they lived in New Mexico at one point, and they they, they migrated around the Southwest quite a bit. And G- Gary, you, you just mentioned about somewhere around 850 AD. Uh, okay, this Chaco Canyon apartment complex was built. What it's the biggest apartment complex for? In America, for the next uh, what about a thousand years? Uh, mm-hmm, you were mm-hmm. just talking about the uh, you know, trade routes. You know, to get the uh, uh, a, a wood, basically like two by fours to the building site. Um, oh, they were they were larger than two by fours. They were like. Um, um, six by sixes. You know, they were big logs. They huge logs that okay. were transported, you know, just on on foot. And um, it's it's kind of funny because um, Chaco Canyon. It, if you're listening to ever get a chance after this is all over to travel out to New Mexico and go to this place, Chaco Canyon, it's just amazing because um, you know there there 
these people living there starting in 850, and they lived there until about 1140 AD. Okay, so they lived there quite a few centuries and built uh, various pueblos uh, and then abandoned some and built other others in this canyon. But they also built these roads. They 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 had this road system going like 50, 50 miles to the north, um, and these roads were like 30 feet wide, and they had some had berms on them, and they went arrow straight north and south. Wow. And, you know, why would a culture that didn't have the wheel or wagons of any sort, why would they need these roads going arrow straight north and south um, for for many, many miles. Um, Perhaps it was a a pilgrimage um, route that that the people from the north came down into this sacred city at the center. So this, you know, this is another what's called axis of the world uh, or axis mundi, a center of the world, you know, the Chaco was definitely a center of the world for its time. And people, you know, from the north came down to, to there to participate in the ceremonies. And they came up from the south uh, to participate at this sacred city uh, in in Mexico. So, and they brought, they imported um, pottery and so forth. And, and, uh-huh. so, and also Chaco Canyon was a big, um, a big turquoise center. They mined turquoise not too far away in uh, in a little south of Santa Fe. There was a huge turquoise mine, Um, the present-day Santa Fe, I should say. And, uh, you know, they got a lot of turquoise, and they they took it to Chaco Canyon, and then they traded it to the south, and these trade routes went down into Central America and into southern Mexico and into Maya territory. So the Hopi and the Maya were definitely connected um, trade-wise, and you know the Hopi, the ancestral Hopi, brought the turquoise down into this region. Um, and one of the things that they brought up from the Maya territory were these um, these scarlet macaws, these brilliant, uh-huh. uh, brilliantly uh, colored birds. And they they found uh, archaeologists have found um, feathers and even whole birds in burial sites in Chaco Canyon and other sites around Arizona and New Mexico. So they found, they found this, these birds were transported um, from the jungles <laughs> like 1,200 miles away uh, on the backs of, of these traders in cages. They brought these live birds up, up into this region and, you know, um, they might have represented fertility and rainfall and, you know, uh, uh, something along that nature because they were such a, a, a lush jungle bird that um, they, um, you know, they might have spiritually represented a certain element that the, the Hopi needed for their existence, which is, you know, rainfall. Rainfall is crucial in the desert here because they they do these kachina dances mostly to to bring the rainfall to bring the rainfall to help the crops, and um, this is one of the ways that perhaps spurred uh, this this cycle, the spiritual cycle of, of rainfall, was to bring yeah, the, it, to import the birds into into Chaco Canyon and other sites in Arizona. 
Garrett, if uh, the readers uh, or the listeners go out and uh, get a copy of your uh, the Orion Zone, you you do cover uh, the uh, a different uh, social organizations uh, within the Hopi. Uh, nation, you, know, you do talk about the Parrot Clan. Uh, mm-hmm. like, that's going to feature into uh, our discussion of your uh, the Orion dimension. But you know the, these trade routes, uh, you know, from what's now New Mexico into Arizona, then going uh, south into Mexico, Central America. Uh, it, yeah, this is you know, you know really interesting about how extensive the trade networks were uh, throughout uh, uh, the North American continent. And you, you know, even talk, uh, you know, even talk uh, at the start of the show how uh, um, in the Black Hills, Orion. the uh, Pleiades, Canis Major, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all, all fit into uh, the cosmology of the Lakota. Getting Orion, it, it's similar ideas um, in Arizona. You know, there's a huge space in between there, but you, you get the same. Uh, it, uh, Religious, uh, spiritual concepts uh, across a huge expanse of America, uh, and as as we get into the uh, second half of the show, you know, we're probably going to hear more about. You know, this seems almost a global mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just very interesting, and like you know, the parrots aren't indigenous to uh, North America. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I was amazed to to see a parrot dance, a kachina dance, uh, the parrot dance on on Third Mesa one time. It just uh, blew me away that you know there's these these parrots dancing around in the dry desert, and I just wouldn't expect it, but you know that's part of the tradition. of their their uh, trade routes to the south, and, you know, so, maybe, but you know maybe I should describe you know how I came a, across the the major uh, thrust of my work beginning um, you know with the Orion Zone. Um, yeah, you know, I'd, 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 I'd have to go back to 1997. I'd been living here uh, in Arizona for a few years, and it was. Um, Let's see. It was May. I think it was May of 19, 1997, and I was driving up to the Hopi Reservation, and um, you know, driving along these Arrow Strait roads, um, you know, north from Winslow, Arizona, and you know, standing on the corner of Winslow, Arizona, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> there, there's a, also a statue there, right? And you, you, you can see a guy standing on on. Uh, in Winslow, <laughs> but that's one of the ways to get up to the to the reservation. 
Um, but I was driving along um, and kind of uh, kind of spacing out, uh, you know, driving these vast distances and seeing mesas on the on the uh, horizon. And I had just read the book by Robert Bouval called The Orion Mystery. And this book uh, basically posits that uh, the three pyramids on the Giza Plateau correspond to the belt stars of Orion. And as I said before, the Hopi live on three primary mesas in northern Arizona. And I was just kind of kind of daydreaming, and I thought, well, you know, maybe maybe there's an Orion correlation, kind of like the Egyptian one, here in Arizona because you have these three mesas. So, you know, I just put that in the back of my mind and drove up to the to the mesas and went to the dances and watched the, the Kachinas dance. And then when I got back home, I, I remembered what I thought about, and I took out a sky chart, and I took out a map of Arizona, and I found, you know, what what I found just amazed me because um, not only did did the three primary mesas, first, second, and third mesa, correspond to the belt stars of Orion, but there was a, an ancient ruin site or village corresponding to each major star in the constellation Orion. And, you know, there was a one-to-one correspondence between the pattern that was laid out on the Arizona desert and the pattern of the uh, the Orion constellation in the sky. So this is a direct uh, correlation between the two, as above, so below. So, you know, the the Hopi um, somehow... Uh, in uh, in their in their wisdom, uh, their wisdom consisting of uh, star ancestors coming uh-huh. from from Orion, perhaps, and um, from the Pleiades as well. Uh, their their ancestors came down in the form of these Kachinas, and they taught them how to make this template, this this pattern on the Arizona desert. As far as is uh, where to build, where to build their uh, particular villages, you know. They, and I, unfortunately, I told you before that my my website was just recently hacked because there's a whole page yeah. on there uh, of all these maps that show exactly you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to conceptualize it unless you get a visual picture of it, but. Uh, you can, um, unfortunately, I'll try to get my website going, but um, you can um, you can see this in particularly the starting with the Orion Zone, which I published in 2006. Um, you can see these maps that show, you know, the the relationship between the particular stars and um, and the villages, the ancient villages that the Hopi built. Around um, you know, starting about 1050 AD and uh, ending in about 1300 AD, and um, so you know the Hopi migrated in this particular area and um, built villages and then abandoned villages and moved on to another place, and they were they were instructed by their star ancestors where to move where to build. These particular villages. 
Okay, so, so on top of three mesas and you know, the, the uh, major Hopi core, there are these uh, villages on top of the mesas that uh, mirror Orion's belt, which is similar to what we see at uh, the, the, the the Giza Plateau and at uh, other uh, pyramid locations in uh, Mexico and C- Central America, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the the mesas are very much like a, like a pyramid. You know, if you look at a mesa, like a flat top pyramid that you see in the Mayan territory. Um, and I think the, the Hopi selected this because perhaps they're, they're, you know, they saw the pyramids down in Central America and uh, Yucatan. And um, they they wanted to, uh, to, to settle in a place that was similar. And these mesas, um, some of these mesas look very much like a flat top pyramid. And um, they built villages um, on on top and at the base, and um, you know some are, are abandoned villages. You know, I've uh, early on when I was going up to the reservation, I went to the base of, of Second Mesa, and um, I stumbled across an, an abandoned village that the, they weren't living in, and it was kind of spooky because I drove my pickup truck down the road, and um, I was just kind of walking around this abandoned, you know, this uh, ruined village with, uh, you know, the blocks all scattered across the ground, and, you know, I heard a voice in my head say, you better get out of there, you know, so I think the spirits of that particular place were warning me, this is not a good place to be, <laughs> You know, so I should really take my truck and turn around and go, <laughs> go back whence I came. You know, so so that was you know the spirits are are, are real there. You know, and um, the spiritual energy is so strong there, and the 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 spirits of the ancestors are there, and you know, and form the people on a daily basis. You know, it's not like they're in some isolated heaven, you know, very far above us. They are. They come. They come in the form of of rainfall. You know, the the Hopi conceptualize their ancestors as living in the clouds, and they come down as rainfall, and they visit the people, and then they go back, go back up. So, um, you know, the ancestors are always very close, informing them of um, of the way to live their life, the way to live um, a peaceful life. The Hopi are considered the people of peace. Um, they they um, have never been conquered by um, by the U.S. government, um, such as the, the 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 Lakota Sioux. You know, you you heard about the the warfare uh, between the Lakota and general custer and and these people mm-hmm. and this by the way is in my book um my my book of poetry just released um uh, voices uh, of inland island it's called it's it's on amazon if you want to check it out this is all about the lakota and the history of lakota and the struggle with um with the encroaching uh frontier and the encroaching 
uh, manifest destiny of, of settlement in the West and the gold rush and all that stuff. And then culminating at Wounded Knee, uh, the the massacre at Wounded Knee, which uh, in, in uh, 1890. So um, yeah. that's what that's all about. But you know, the the Hopi were never never really uh, conquered by the um, you know they were their families were torn apart and, and sent to boarding schools. They, they uh, shipped some of the children off to boarding schools and it's a terrible you know uh, conditions that they had to disavow their language and, and customs and culture and be, uh, essentially try to become white people. Uh, kind of exterminate uh, exterminate the spiritual aspect of the Indian uh, in order to uh, you know just um, so they could assimilate uh, assimilate and uh, I just read in the in the paper that a politician which I won't name said that the trouble with the Native Americans is they they haven't learned to assimilate into the white culture which is just absurd. And <laughs> it, 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 Gary, you said that the, the Hopi were the, the least they, – they were a very peaceful people, but they were also the least affected by um, manifest destiny. So, you know, mm-hmm. very uh, – what uh, uh, traditional, and they've been able to uh, – Preserve their culture relatively intact. Mm-hmm. It is it, 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 now with these uh, villages on top of the mesas. Uh, have the Hopi built, uh, um, you know, like a, a, a community neighborhood over the hill from the? Is you know, are, are they still occupying? Uh, the the area at, at the base of the mesas. Yeah, it's a kind of a mixed bag because oh. some of the villages, uh, some of the villages, villages are are more more traditional. Like the village of Walpi on First Mesa, there was no no electricity or, or running water there. And a couple of villages are like that, but some of the villages have let in electricity and running water. So, you know, it's kind of a mixed, you know, depending on what village it is. And the villages are more or less autonomous. They're, they're run by the, 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 uh, the head elders, the, the, the head medicine men, uh, you, you know, run these villages and the the villages uh, have different traditions really so it's it's really hard to generalize about talking uh, about talking about the hopi because some of the villages have certain mythologies and certain traditions that the other villages don't like i said before they came up from different places and they came to the center place led Led by um, a god named Massau. <laughs> Massau. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I should talk about Massau. He's, he's a strange, yep. a strange creature. That um, and I have a, a kind of an artist rendition in, in a few of my books uh, that describe. There's a lot, been a lot said about Massau in the oral tradition. Been written down. You know what Massau looks like. You know he's 
is uh, described as very tall and kind of a thin body, and he has uh, a large bulbous head and round eyes and a round mouth. And Matthau is basically the god of the underworld, the god of death, the god of fire, and the god of this earth plane. Um, there's one there's one myth that says that the Hopi came up out of the Grand Canyon, came up through a hollow bamboo reed and climbed up through out of Grand Canyon and began to populate the Colorado Plateau in northern Arizona and New Mexico. And uh, this this god Massa was the first creature or entity that the Hopi who were migrating around met. And Massau said that if you want to live simply like I do with my sack of seeds and my digging stick, you can stay here and, you know, I will give you the deed to this particular land. So Massau was not only an underworld god, but also a god of the earth plane as as lived by the Hopi um, um, so, um, and I, I believe that Masao, as well as the Kachinas, uh, directed the Hopi where to build these villages to present this pattern of Orion in the heavens, uh, you know, on the earth, you know, present this pattern, reflected this mirroring of Orion on the earth. Much like the Lakota, you know, um, you know, they conceptualize the Black Hills as a great buffalo, uh, you know, with um, the belt being the, the belt stars of Orion being its backbone. You know, there's same same kind of correlation as above, so below. So. Right, and, and Gary, it, um, you know, you do have photos. In your the Orion Zone on page fifty and seventy six about the um, or, or uh, information on page seventy six about the uh, 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 petroglyphs. Uh, the the one on page fifty is of uh, Massau. Uh, or is the petroglyph information that you include in uh, the Orion Zone, are they uh, found uh, nearby the, uh, these three mesas that represent Orion's belt? Or, or, you know, in oh, the yeah, yeah they are. They're, basically, they're basically all over Arizona, these petroglyphs. Mm, okay. um, um, you know, I found a lot of the petroglyphs are uh, are around the Winslow area, believe it or not. You know, um, there's a place called Homolabi State Park, and which is one of the one of the stars of the Orion correlation, the Arizona Orion correlation. It corresponds to Betelgeuse um, in in the whole template. And, and like I say, I wish I had my my um, my website working, and you could go to the map and say, "Oh yes, I see what you mean." But you can uh, look in the Orion Zone, and there are maps uh, there, and in a couple of the other books that you can see, you know, each 
each site, uh, like I say, Omolavi has a lot of uh, petroglyphs around that area. And I also found a, a star map uh, of, um, of the different constellations, Orion and Auriga and Taurus and Canis Major and Gemini, all carved into the, into the side of the cliff. Um, and I show this in my book, The Orion Zone, as well. That you know they wanted a map of this this whole um, as above so below, and um, they they wanted to to show uh, you know where they were located on the map three Hopi mesas you know they wanted to show that so um, you know you can you can see this uh, petroglyph um, evidence of the way they were thinking and, the, and their mythology. Um, and it's just fascinating, um, as well as the you know the archaeology that um, you, you have you have pottery and you have uh, stone uh, structures that you can study. You can also study the the um, the petroglyphs, the rock carvings, and sometimes rock paintings um, of, of mm-hmm. these ancient people. And they're all over all over Arizona, you know, basically, and New Mexico as well. Um, they that's their way of uh, you know talking about their migrations, talking about the different clans that were in the area, talking about um, the the spiritual aspects of certain certain beings, and you see a lot of for, for instance spirals, and the spiral is can be um, associated with a kind of a portal or an interdimensional portal into, into the spirit world. So um, you know, it's just a fascinating subject in and of itself. Just um, the the uh, petroglyphs and uh, the, um, the the pictographs that you find in this region that that correspond with their their mythology and the, and the way they they view they view the world and the, and the different cycles, the uh, the cyclic view of time. Gary. You, know, you were talking about uh, Chaco Canyon was founded about eight, you know, roughly 850 A.D. Uh, a lot of the uh, information that you've been talking about, the, the Hopi information, uh, you know, the Hopi uh, culture in northern Arizona, uh, you know, all that. Uh, Information you presented covered. What uh, you're talking about? Uh, about 1100 to uh, mm-hmm. 1300. Uh, right. You know, it's in- interesting that uh, you do mention that. Uh, you know, about 1300, these mesas seem to be suddenly abandoned because of mm-hmm. too much prosperity. That's you know some pretty interesting. But you know, it, it, you know the point is in a, you know relatively short period of time, the Hopi in um, northern Arizona really did accomplish. Uh, you know some uh, engineering marvels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, yeah, we you know we're start getting into more of uh, you know what we know about uh, some of their folklore, but you know they came from somewhere else, and 
you know, settled there and mm-hmm. achieved a uh, you know, uh, left their mark with uh, a, a astonishing uh, 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 achievements. Uh, um, so, but in your um, the Orion dimension, you know, you're saying that you know that, uh, they use Google Earth to show that there are aside from the three Orion Belt mesas, you know, there are a lot of other structures that um, are in a straight line. You use a mm-hmm. photo from Google Earth that it is mm-hmm. it's like uh the chakra line that's going right, yeah. way out it, uh through right. the desert and keeps going out into the ocean and right. that's one of your premises before we before we get into that which okay. is really really far afield and I will get into it cuz it's the one of the focuses of the new book um, I should say that the Hopi have, you know, built these these um, structures, these pueblos, you know, starting in like 1000, 1100, uh, in in the uh, in the three mesa area, three mesas, but they they've been in this in this region for thousands of years, and they migrated around, and they lived mostly in what is called uh, pit houses or semi, um, you know, subterranean structures that are single family structures or single clan, perhaps, that, um, you know, they lived kind of more spread out, kind of like what the Navajo, the Navajo lived uh, spread out. The Navajo uh, came into this region from the north, and they, um, they currently live, you know, spread out. They don't live in these um, these villages like the Hopi do. The Navajo live in separate, um, you know, kind of spread out communities, and uh, they live, they have what's called a hogan, their their sacred house uh, out, you know, it's more spread out than than the Hopi. And the Navajo Reservation completely surrounds station in Arizona, and the Navajo also goes into uh, yeah, Western New Mexico as well. But I should I should say stress the point that the Hopi were migrating around the whole continent. And I use, uh, I talk about this a lot in my book, Journey of the Serpent People, the migrations of the Hopi. Because the Hopi, um, when they first met this god, Masao, um, he said, well, you know, you can stay here, but first you've got to go on this great migration to the four different directions. And they conceptualized this um, these four directions with a um, an, uh, a reverse swastika, and the swastika is very old. It's a very old symbol. It's it's um, mm-hmm. it's from India, and and uh, a friend of mine uh, sent me an ancient swimming pool in the shape of a swastika, and uh, you know uh, if, uh, these are from uh, southern India, you know, but the, it's really all over the world the swastika. And the, the Hopi uh, also paint uh, the swastika on their dance rattles. So the, when they're doing the kachina dance, they'll be uh, in the right hand. They'll have a, uh, 
uh, a brightly colored uh, rattle with a swastika on it, kind of a stylized swastika. And um, this has been used for, for thousands of years. I saw uh, in some of my research uh, some pottery with, uh, that was um, done in the, in the Phoenix Basin area, the, the people there, which incidentally were called the Hohokam, a different, uh, slightly different group. But um, that they also had the, the swastika symbol on this pottery. So um, the people were moving around um, to, to the four directions, to the four winds, you, you, you can say. And okay. um, I, I talk about the Hopi, especially the snake clan. In my book, Journey of the Serpent People, they, they moved from this area and they, they went east. They went all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. And um, a few years ago, I gave a talk at Serpent Mound in, in southern Ohio. And I, I talked about the Hopi Snake Clan and their influence on the construction of Serpent Mound. Um, uh, there are a lot of similarities between the, the Hopi uh, Snake Clan and um, the elements of Serpent Mound. So um, the Hopi say that they came east uh, went to the Atlantic and then uh, lived in the Ohio Valley for some time. And there's there's been some DNA evidence to link um, Southern Ohio, for instance, the uh, the the Hopewell people of Southern, which have nothing to do with the, the Hopi people of the Arizona of Hopewell of uh, Ohio. Some of their DNA is very similar to that of. Um, the uh, the DNA found around Pyramid Lake in Nevada, and at the ancestral Hopi were you know, migrated all over Nevada as well as Arizona. So they they went uh, east to um, to the Atlantic Ocean and uh, helped build the um, Serpent Mound, or at least conceptualize the Serpent Mound. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I say before, they they went quite a bit south into the, uh, the Maya territory. And some, some believe they went all the way into South America and they interacted with uh, the tribes of South America as well. Yeah, it, yeah, get, and Gary, Gary um, since you were just talking about the Hopewell, yeah, you should probably talk about the importance of Dr. Lisa Mills's uh, yeah, mitochondrial well, that's, that's... DNA because uh, that, you know, that is a published, you know, her what published doctoral yeah, thesis. I, yeah, uh, it's her PhD thesis that uh, that's you can find it on the internet. And um, you know, this um, she said that you know some of these Hopewell um, DNA uh, sequences are very much like that found around the Pyramid Lake area in Nevada. So this is you know thousands of miles apart. So there was interaction between these these uh, two places, and um, that shows that they were they were migrating more than mainstream academics give them credit for. You know, the the mainstream ac- academia tends to uh, be very conservative, kind of other. They're um, a conservative bunch that doesn't that don't like to go out on a limb very much. You know, they they don't like to speculate that much. They want to stick with their pot shards and their you know um, the, their ruined structures and you know their digs and so forth, which is which is helpful and you know it gives us a lot of insight into how the people lived and and uh, you know the the lifestyle of the people. 
but it doesn't really address the the underlying spiritual and mythological um, side of the people, which, you know, really, if you don't have the spiritual or uh, legendary side of the people, then you're missing a, a whole part of the story. And um, that's why um, I think uh, the mainstream should be a little more open to um, interpretations that uh, that deal with shamanism and deal with the sacred and deal with medicine men and deal with uh, the spiritual aspects of um, of the people, but which are really paramount in in, a, in the life of the people. Even though the people are very practical and pragmatic and they're funny and and they're you know just like uh, human beings uh, like any of us, but they uh, they also have this underlying underlying spirituality that informs their daily life. Unlike the secular world uh, that uh, a lot of us live in now. But, um, and, and I was going to say I was going to finish the the uh, my story about the the four directions. They they also went okay. up into Canada, believe it or not. You know, the they found uh, paint, rock paintings up into in Alberta, Canada. You know, so the snake clan went up into Alberta, Canada. And um, you know, interacted with the the First Nation people, nations people up there. So you know, the Hopi really got all, uh, around all over, and then they finally came back to the center place. They call it Tuwanasabi, the the center of the world, the center of the, the where the three masons are. Uh, you know, Masao said you got to go on this long migration before you can you can come back here and live. So they spent, you know, many generations, I think, going across the land and going to different places before they came back. And, um, you know, so, you know, it's it's a, it's a complex thing that has many, many roots and many branches. And um, it's complex, made more complex by the fact that some of the, the villages don't acknowledge... Um, Certain aspects where other villages do, so it's hard to 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 talk generally about about the Hopi. Uh, for instance, um, the third mesa, uh, which is the mesa to the left or to the west, the furthest west mesa, they have this, these ideas of these um, these ocean going trips, going across mm-hmm. the ocean on bamboo reeds, going um, you know going from island to island from west to east and going somewhere in the in the western pacific or the southern pacific um and going across the ocean until they made it to the western coast of america either central america or in north america it's my belief that they they got on the equatorial countercurrents which is um uh, north and south of the equator, and they 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 kind of um, rode these currents going from west to east, and uh, landed up around Panama, and then they they went north along the coast until they came to uh, along the coast of uh, South America and Mexico, and then they they went up the Colorado River, um, and into the Grand Canyon, and they came up. Uh, into Arizona that way, so it's it's a very long voyage, and um, 
you know, it's it's amazing to to think that these these desert farmers were once great mariners. They were they were uh, they made these voyages across the uh, across the ocean, and you know, the idea of the continent, the lost continent of Mu, which uh, I understand you had uh, James Churchward uh, recently talking about um, his work about that and his uh, great grandfather. Oh, yeah. or, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah we had Jack on. Yeah, he, uh, uh, Barbara. What would you say? He uh, slightly exaggerated, or he he said uh, his great grandfather slightly exaggerated. You know the truth of. of uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. I, the, well, I think you're putting legend. it gently. I think, I think you're putting it gently. Um, but and, and I, he he called it a nasty word, actually. <laughs> but, but but there is, uh, you know, Gary. I think you know you do make you know, some interesting points that you know, do give us another perspective. Uh, on uh, Colonel Churchward's writings on Moo and you know, Jack's presentation it mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, like for, for example, uh, Colonel Churchward uh, spoke about the, the variety of uh, nationalities living mm-hmm. uh, uh Across the Pacific, and then yeah, you know, even throw in like the Hobbit people. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that's some pretty interesting stu- uh, information right there. But oh yeah, uh, yeah, Churchward. I've got a lot from Churchward. I'm reading his books, and um, you know, I've, I've written a few chapters about Churchward and how they relate to the Hopi way of, of thinking about um, um, coming across the ocean and you know perhaps living on this great continent. Um, uh, this continent that that was uh, deluge, and uh, I should mention that you know the 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 destruction of the Hopi Third World. We're in the Fourth World now, but the Hopi Third World was was destroyed by a great flood. Of course, there were floods right. all over the world, but um, they they believe that a great flood uh, came across you know upon the continent and completely submerged it, and the Hopi had to flee. From this place, so that's um, they they got on these reed boats, uh, and uh, they have uh, they have the bamboo or reed clan, or they're also called the houseboat clan. Uh, even today in in Hopi, you know, it's called uh, a number of things. It's called the the water clan. The the, the word is potki, a water clan, the houseboat clan, and there's also a reed clan or bamboo clan. So um, you know this idea of all this um, uh, maritime uh, references to these desert farmers is is rather interesting. I think. Yeah. That uh, I, I, you know that yeah, yeah. that's something in their past, and they like I said, they claim, especially on this one one village of Oribe is the main uh, village there on Third Mesa. They claim that um, you know they they came across the ocean, and like I say, uh, I have a map in my book that shows these currents that that kind of extends um, um, and it kind of hits where Panama is now. 
And it's interesting that um, genealogic, or um, as far as DNA goes, I should say, that um, the trait of albinism, that's one thing I focus on in uh, um, Journey of the Serpent People, uh, the trait of albinism is very, very strong in um, uh, uh, in in the Hopi tribe, but it's also strong in the the Kuna tribe of Panama. So there's um and uh, albinism is also very uh, very prominent prevalent in the Western Pacific, the, the islands of the Western Pacific. So you know they perhaps carried this trait from the Western Pacific over into Panama and up to the Hopi and uh, a couple of the tribes in um, in New Mexico along the Rio Grande also have um, very strong albinism uh, trait in them. So, you know, these genetic things are are, are kind of uh, dovetailing with their their legends and their their myths about uh, inter ocean travel of, of going across the Pacific. Yeah, Gary, that really doesn't sound. Uh, you know what you just said. You know the some people might say, oh, you know, that might sound a little out there, but you know, even in you know, when Squire and Davis wrote their 1848, uh, uh, like the ancient monuments in Mississippi Valley, you know, they talk about some of the uh, uh, skulls, and you know, Colonel mm-hmm. Norris even talks about it from the Charleston, uh, West Virginia uh, excavations that that some of the uh, skulls look like the the Peruvian skulls. Yeah, even in the 19th century, uh, you, you know, people were uh, noticing uh, what what you're saying. Oh, uh, okay, well, you know, kind of like you know what you know, what we're uh, finding in a few of these graves in Central America, same thing we uh, find in the Ohio Valley. And oh yeah, yeah. Then, well, you know, you know there's been a lot of research. research. There have been yeah, a lot of research. DNA. Lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, uh, you know, people like uh, Hugh Newman and uh, and uh, Jim Vieira have a, a great book on giants and uh, all the uh, mm-hmm. of of North America. You know, so. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of some um, evidence for you know at least seven foot plus skeletons in the Ohio Valley region and into into um, West Virginia and and uh, farther south even. So yeah, that's um that's a that's a line of research that a lot of people are following and uh, you know, it's an interesting and it's been a cover up from the Smithsonian, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, just yeah, g- just g- like Gary, they tried in- to cover up. Yep, go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I was just gonna say, you know, you know, your information just seems to back up what, what was no- noted by the Smithsonian researchers uh, you know, 160 years ago, and you know, also draw our attention to. Uh, the the uh, linguistics as mm-hmm, well mm-hmm. from uh, around the world. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, introduce this more evidence of uh, long distance migrations of uh, these prehistoric peoples? 
Well, I think there was a, a global civilization um, prior to the destruction of the first world, which you know the Hopi believe that the first world was destroyed by fire. And you know, if if you um, followed Graham Hancock and his books about um, the cometary impact, uh, ten thousand eight hundred BC um, hit North America and just wiped out uh, a lot of the the fauna uh, of the region and the people. Uh, so um, you know the. The Hopi would call this the destruction of the first world by fire. And, of course, the second world was destroyed by ice, the Hopi believe. And, you know, it's it's all because the humans devolved uh, the, uh, spiritually in, um, you know, just kind of a spiritual devolution. And uh, things got chaotic and socially discordant. Much like we're seeing today, yeah, you know, much like uh, the, the signs of, of um, nearing nearing the end of the fourth world, um, you can see it everywhere. And um, but the Hopi, you know, have gone through the destruction of the the first world and the destruction destruction of the second world by ice, uh, the the younger Dryas period after the Great Cometary Impact. Um, the 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 earth got very cold very fast, and uh, you know just ice came across uh, a lot of the the region, and uh, you know it was a a mini ice age uh, for instance, and uh, got very cold, and uh, the the way that the Hopi explained how they survived, how their ancestors survived, they um, they were led by a certain star to a god named Sotugnan. Sotugnan was um, the sky god. And um, he he came down from the heavens and uh, directed them to these, to these entities which the Hopi called the ant people. Now, the ant people have, uh, you know, you can see, I've seen uh, pictographs and petroglyphs of, of ant people carved uh in the cliffs of, of Arizona and New Mexico, and you can see they they act, actually look um, uh, morphologically like ants. You know, they they kind of spindly spindly bodies and and thin arms, and you know, they, but they're they're humanoid in the sense that they could stand upright. Uh, so you know, they're kind of a, a cross between. Um, you know, ants and people, but um, you know, they, they, the Hopi call the uh, ant. The word for ant is Anu, and uh, the word for friend is Naki or Nakwatsvani. Um, so Anu Anu Naki uh, comes to mind. The ant friends um, took the Hopi into caverns during these two cataclysms. Destruction of the first world by fire and destruction of the second world by ice, and they took him down into caverns and uh, caves, subterranean passageways, and they taught them how to survive in these caves while the the, the destruction was going on. And um, the, um, the the Hopi still have a ceremony called the Pawamo ceremony. It happens in February, 
and um, it's called the bean sprouting ceremony. And they they sprout beans in these kivas, these underground kivas, you know, just like the, the they sprouted in the caves, that the ant people taught them how to sprout these beans in the caves to help them survive this time when they were they were a subterranean, had to live in a subterranean existence while this destruction was going on. So they, they finally, you know, the they, the destruction was over and they came up and began the next world. Uh, you know, they began the third world and then that was flooded out, as I said. Um, so, you know, we're into the fourth world now and going <laughs> Going headlong into uh, into chaos, you know. Yeah, um, and to take some of this information a little farther, you talk about the Sumerian word for smelting is uh, like uru or something. I, yeah, I, I there, are so many, there are so many um, linguistic, you know, it, it boggles my mind, too, because I, I've written, you know, uh, seven books so far, and I can't remember what, what I said in which book. But, you know, one, that, uh, one parallel that really sticks in, mind, uh, in my mind um, is, is the Egyptian Hopi parallel, linguistic parallel. Yeah, it's a good one. Okay. That, um, you know, the, the word sahu means the stars of Orion. Mm-hmm. And the Hopi word Sohu uh, means stars in general, but the most important constellation to the Hopi is Orion. And why this is true is because the Hopi, uh, during their winter solstice ceremony, which is a sun ceremony basically, but they get down into the Kiva around midnight, and when they see the constellation Orion, Overhead on December 21st, in the overhead hatchway, you remember I, I said that the they enter through a ladder in the in the roof, mm-hmm. and they come down the ladder and they they can look up and see the sky, and they see Orion in this rectangular hatchway or the square hatchway, and um, that means to start the winter solstice ceremony on December 21st. And the, and the Hopi can uh, could pretty much see, you know, when the winter solstice ceremony was because the sun would be the farthest south on the horizon. And, you know, when the sun rises, the farthest south it will go during a year. Uh, there's they, they usually had a, a sun-watching place where they could sit and watch it rise over a, a, a given butte on the horizon. And they knew, you know, when the sun hit, hit that butte, it would be the, you know, the winter solstice time. And um, the, the sun would be what's called in the winter house. That's the way the, the, um, the Hopi put it. And, you know, the solstice, the solstice basically means sun stands still. So the sun uh, on December 21st, a couple of days before and afterwards, it stays at the same place on the horizon and it doesn't move, so you know the sun is basically standing still. And then, uh, as the spring progresses, the sun moves uh, farther north on the horizon each day, until it goes to the um, the uh, vernal equinox. It rises due east uh, at ninety degrees, and then um, then it continues to rise north 
and it goes um, in the Hopi territory. It goes as about sixty degrees azimuth, but um, um, that's that's a, that's kind of kind of a complicated thing to conceptualize without <laughs> without seeing the the diagram there. But um, you know, the, the Hopi knew exactly when the, the winter solstice was. You know, when the sun was the farthest south. And they'd have the ceremony. Um, it's a very important, the most important ceremony, really. But it would be uh, synchronized by the constellation Orion and the overhead hatchway. So that's why, you know, and these, um, for, the, for the ancient Egyptians, Orion was paramount because uh, Orion represented Osiris, um, the, the soul of Osiris that would go into the heavens and. Um, and um, you know, the idea was that the deceased would would rise up and go to the constellation Orion in the heavens. So you know, but both uh, the constellations uh, Orion and uh, Sirius and the Pleiades and Taurus are important for both uh, both cultures. But like I say, this linguistic thing about them. Um, Sahu for um, the stars of Orion in, in Egyptian, and Sohu, and uh, incidentally, the the um, the Egyptian language, uh, the vowels are approximate. So, you know, Sahu is just an approximation. So it might have been Sohu as well. So exactly. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, and. Um, it, it, you also make a um interesting uh tie in with orion's uh, the constellation orion's uh, uh physical characteristics you know like the narrow waist and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the uh, appearance of how an ant looks. You know, it has mm-hmm. you know, a uh, narrow waist. So exactly. Does that you know, give um, us a little bit more that connection yeah, um, between uh, Earth and the stars? Well, I think that the idea of the ant people and um, um, the idea of the ancient Egyptians, um, I, you know, in my books, I, I have a picture of Akhenaten, the, the 18th dynasty uh, pharaoh, mm-hmm. around 1350 uh, B.C. Um, you know, I, and I show uh, a, a sculpture of him, or not a sculpture, but a uh, carving of him, um, and, you know, uh, juxtapose that to an African ant, which... And it's very, very similar, you know. Um, the the um, the body of Akhenaten is very similar to to what an ant looks like, and even the abdomen, you know, the 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 pointed abdomen in this one uh, uh, it's one picture of um, Akhenaten. You have a pointed, uh, you know, the art the artist somehow, you know, put the lower part of Akhenaten's body as looking like an, an ant's abdomen. So it's it's a very strange um, you know mixture of um, of um, the ant where uh, is it's called the the mixture of human and uh, animal creatures or insectoid creatures 
And uh, like I say, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, petroglyphs that have these, you know, antenna on these, <laughs> on these uh, upright standing, um, uh, you know, entities. I don't know how you. I call them crypto creatures. You know, they're they're, they're an odd thing. They're kind of like the kachina, really. You know, the kachinas that these very bizarre creatures that. Uh, don't seem naturalistic at all, and um, they seem like they come from the stars. Um, the ant people, of course, have uh, come from the underground, the underworld. And that's how the Hopi were able to survive in these uh, caverns during these two cataclysms that destroyed the earth. And, and, and you just mentioned um, artists. You know, Hopi artists, and uh, later in your um, the Orion dimension, you talk about the positive and negative handprints. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really interesting, since we you know we've been talking a little bit about art. Uh, we mentioned, you know, you know the fascinating petroglyphs earlier in the show. Can, can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the, the symbology of the uh, positive and negative handprints? Sure. Yeah, the, they're found all over the Southwest. It's, um, and one explanation is that you know it's basically a signature of um, you know of the person who's doing the carving. They would put their own um, their own kind of handprint, and they carve it, or they sometimes paint it, depending on the the medium they're using. Um, so you know that's the way a lot of the mainstream archaeologists see it. Um, but you know, I found that um, there's a little bit more involved here because if you if you look at uh, for instance, the Mississippian culture of the of the southeast, they have this idea of the eye in the hand motif. You know, the eye in the hand. Um, you know, they've they've carved these on on slate slabs, and you know, the eye in the palm of the hand. Okay. And um, some believe that this uh, this eye in the hand is the Orion Nebula. Mm-hmm. So the the preponderance of these handprints all over the Southwest might be a tribute to this this motif of the eye in the hand. And really, this is found all over the world. These uh, the Berber tribe of of North Africa has has this uh, it's called the hand of Fatima or the Hamza, but. Um, you know, it has the eye in the hand, and uh, some some scholars believe that this corresponds to the Orion Nebula, and that uh, at least for the people of the southeastern United States, you know, this is a kind of a portal into the into the spirit world, and you can only you can only access it at a certain time of year, and you can access this. Um, right about now, in fact, and if anybody anybody wants to try it, <laughs> it's uh, late April is when uh, you have the heliacal setting of Orion. That means that you know if if you're a star watcher, 
um, you go out uh, after sunset and you see the Orion uh, constellation kind of hovering uh, on the western horizon. And it's just about to set. So in a, in a few days, it will become invisible. But um, some scholars believe that this is the time when uh, the soul would kind of make this journey at the, in uh, late April when, when Orion was setting and, and just before it became invisible. And it becomes invisible for a period of, of uh, 70 days, which incidentally is the same uh, period as the mummification process in ancient Egypt. He does it 70 days. Uh, when you can see Orion again in early July when he appears at dawn, that's the heliacal rising of Orion in July. In, in ancient Egypt, it used to come with the, uh, the summer solstice. It coincide with that, but now it's, now it's in July. But, you know, some believe that this is a very special time. This is kind of a, a portal in which you can access the spirit world and a tunnel to the underworld, the soul, uh, see this opportunity. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the, the linguistic aspect. Uh, the, hope, the Hopi word ma'at means hand, but ma'ata means to show or be revealed. And the Egyptian word ma'at, in sight, vision, something seen, tableau. And mat is uh, represented by justice, order, and law. So, you know, you, you have these similarities again between ancient mm-hmm. Egypt and, and the ancient Hopi people. So, um, you know, as I said, I think, I think there was a, a global knowledge that was transferred, uh, uh, transported all over the world Mm-hmm. And uh, this this knowledge and people interacted, and um, you know uh, different cultures interacted at different times, uh, much more than than mainstream academia would care to to you know they're they as I said they're kind of narrow in their perspective of of what actually the ancient people did to do, and this is kind of denigrates the abilities of these ancient people. Like they believe, you know, they, the archaeologists believe, well, no, they couldn't have sailed across the Pacific. Well, this, this kind of uh, denigrates the the skills and ability of these ancient people. You know, right. of course they, of course they could sail across. Uh, you know, Thor, Thor Heyerdahl showed us they could sail across the ocean in a papyrus boat. You know. Um, you know, he, he sailed, sailed four thousand miles. He sailed four thousand miles in, in like uh, two months. Saint Brendan did it in the what fifth century. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. And there are a lot but of Celtic people coming new. over, and the, you know, you have the, the Celtic influence in the Northeast with uh, America's Stonehenge and all that stuff. You know, and they they for sure came over here. Um, very early on, so um, and interacted with with the native peoples, and the native peoples taught them things, and um, they received knowledge from these these uh, travelers as well. So, you know, it was a global, um, uh, a cosmopolitan um, world that you know that the people were living in very early on. Yeah, uh, uh, we've had some other guests on that, and 
you, you know, we've basically said the same thing is America thousands of years ago really isn't any different than what it is today with everyone in the world new is here. Everyone's traveling to America, trading, Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, get getting married, you know, finding spouses, and, and it's just the sure. same thing as today. It just you know took a little longer to get here and different routes, but it is you know basically uh, uh, human behavior hasn't changed in a really long time. Sure, yeah, yeah. There were you know explorers, ancient uh, mar- maritime people. Um, that explored the world, especially especially before the great cataclysm of, you know, uh, of the comet hitting the North America, you know, before before 10,800 BC, you know, um, there must have been some kind of um, global uh, global culture that um, you know you you find traces of it, you know, and even Graham Hancock will say, you know. It's hard to track down the evidence because there are, there's only traces of this global civilization left, you know, that, um, you know, I, I run down some of that in my book. Uh, for instance, there's kind of a world axis that you can, you can draw from one of the sites in Arizona called Canyon de Shea. It's, on a, an exact longitude line to Easter Island, and if you take and, and if you go the northward from from Canyon de Chez, which is um, corresponds to Saif in my template, my Orion template, um, if you go over the North Pole and you go into India on this same line. You come to Mohenjo-Daro, which is a, a great uh, city in ancient India. It flourished around 2500 BC or so. But the the interesting thing about this is that scholars have found similarities between the script that they found on Easter Island called Rango Rango and the uh, Indus River script found in 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 uh, in India on the Indus River now in Pakistan but um you know a great similarity in in the characters they're kind of ideogrammic uh, writing uh that you know it's not not alphabet or of any kind but kind of symbols basic symbols but uh, these these two um these two areas that are literally halfway around the world from each other have almost the exact same writing um, or, or, or communication. And um, that's why I think there was a global uh, culture that uh, disseminated this information all over the world. And uh, we can see traces of this today. Yeah, I I, I, I understood Jack's uh, church words uh, point. Yeah. Uh, Okay, th- things might have been exaggerated by a family member a long time ago, uh, but uh, yeah, there the, the, there is some of that evidence that we could glean from a few places. Yeah, it, 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 
uh, you know, a lot of it's uh, buried under uh, silt from floods and uh, uh, mm-hmm. underwater. But but there's still just a little those little bits of information that do uh, appear that you know, really make you wonder. I, you know, I think there probably was some kind of global c- civilization in you know, uh, introduced me to that one word uh, thalassocracy a maritime trading empire I, I like that uh, that was a new new word I, I, I learned from your uh, your eyes yeah, dimension it was the, a cool, uh, to, cool term there's something to that too Oh, yeah, yeah, the the ancient people. You know, it's the idea of diffusionism rather than isolationism. Um, you know, that people got around much more than academics give them credit for. And they they diffused their culture all around the world in very early times. And, you know, I, I talk about church word, uh, you know, and uh, I have found some useful things with church word. But I also talk in the, the Orion Dimension, I also talk about Edgar Cayce, Edgar yeah, Casey, yeah. the the famous prophet, you know, he he um said that um the the people living in the southwest came from across the ocean. You know, they came, you know, from across the sea, from the from the continent of Mu and uh, they they settled in the American Southwest and he called these the cliff dwellers. That's the term that he used, and they were the. Mm-hmm. He said that they were the last wave of people from Mu, before it was destroyed by a great flood. So, um, and the Hopi also have um, this legend of, um, you know, um, of a place called Palakwapi, which is uh, the Red City of the South. That's what they call it. And uh, I found that um, Edgar Casey, you know claimed that there was a lost hall of records in Yucatan. And um, some believe that um, namely um, Greg and Laura Little and John Van Auken of the Edgar Casey Foundation, right. they believe that it was a place called Piedras Negras. It's a, a Mayan site uh, on the Yuma Center River in northwestern Guatemala. And um, I wrote about this and um, I found that, you know, this site is uh, a, uh, resembles a lot the way the Hopi um, described this place called Palakwapi, the lost uh, red city of the south. And, um, you know, they ha- they describe it in detail. And you look at you look at the structure of this this mine place. I haven't been to this place because uh, it's, uh, it's very hard to get to. By the way, it's not not sure on the normal tourist tourist route, you know, but um it's been it's been studied by archaeologists, but it, I found a lot of the similarities between um Piedras Negras and um the Palacopi, which the Hopi uh, conceptualized as their kind of stepping off place before they came north and and uh, inhabited the American Southwest. So you know you you can uh, you can uh, look at my book for all the details. There's so many details that it's hard to it's hard to summarize the um, 
the gist of what I'm talking about because this uh, this book, uh, the Orion Dimension, is very wide ranging. Um, I talk about a little bit about Lascaux and the uh, the ancient um, uh, cave art of Lascaux you know, fifteen thousand mm-hmm. years ago, and and how there's a, an Orion um, depiction on one of the walls of Lascaux. You know, it all has to do with Orion and the importance of Orion in in the psyche of world cultures. And I try to to um, reflect that. But you know, Orion is, like I say, in in um, very important in uh, ancient Egypt and also here in the Southwest, uh, American Southwest. So you know, yeah, that's that's yeah, been yeah. my my focus. You know, for the since. Um, Basically, I've been writing since 1997 um, about this. It took uh, a few years to get out. My first book, The Orion Zone, in 2006. But uh, I've uh, released the seven seven volumes that talk about the Hopi and their migrations and the, the different um, uh, migrations around the world, in fact, and the, the fusionism of, of different cultures. And I also talk about you know, the, the Lost Cave in Grand Canyon in one of my books, you know, the, the, the Egyptian Lost Cave in Grand Canyon, which uh, a lot of people have talked about. Yeah, it, you know, Gary, Gary, we're down to uh, approaching five minutes, six minutes or so. Hey, did, did you want to read a, a poem or, you know, like from, from Voices of the Inland Island or it, it, anything else you want to plug? Uh, you, you, you have uh, is that one conference rescheduled? You know, just trying to wrap up any. Oh, okay, yeah. The conference is. Um, it would have been great, uh, a great conference. Um, um, but of course, COVID is, is co-opting it, and um, you know we're going to have a live stream on the fifteenth through the 17th of May. Okay, and the way you you get um, to this live stream and get tickets for this live stream, I'm not sure exactly how much the tickets are. You'd have to talk to Robert Dakota, who who is the um, organizer of this conference, which has turned into a live stream. But, you know, people, a lot of, you know, Interesting people. Uh, Eric Von Daniken was supposed to be there. He'll be live streaming. Uh, Michael Cremo, Randall Carlson, Hugh Newman, Jim Vieira, um, Regina Meredith, and myself will be, um, you know, uh, doing live streams about uh, our presentations that we were to give at this conference. It would have been a nice conference to uh, to um, meet the the granddaddy of the um, the UFO ancient astronaut theory, Eric von Daniken. But um, anyway, you can go to Worldviews Media. Now it's spelled very specially because there it's not a an S, but it's a Z. Worldviewsmedia.com. Worldviews with a Z. Media.com. And you can you can uh, see a description of of it, and um, so yeah, it's okay. um, it's unfortunate that this that this has come about because um, we really are in an unsure chaotic place. But I think 
if you follow the Hopi, um, which I do and have done for years, and if you follow their prophecies, we could do a whole show on prophecy, Hopi prophecies. But um, you know, the thing that that brought it together for me was seeing Prophecy Rock, which is a petroglyph on um, on Third Mesa in Arizona. And it has a depiction of the way the world is going. And there are two lines, two oblique lines that are carved into the rock. And the lower oblique line uh, going uh, from downward to the upward, uh, you see Hopi, Hopi farmers tending corn. Okay. And then, and then parallel to that line, you see another line that um that is above that and it, it kind of trails off into nowhere okay uh, and um i i had the 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 great good fortune to to um meet uh, grandfather martin geshwesiyama of uh, third mesa uh, the late he passed away a few years ago but he talked about this this particular meaning of this this petroglyph, and the lower, the lower one is the the lower line on this petroglyph is the way that the world should be moving. You know, close to the earth, close to spirituality, uh, center and rooted. And it's in particular, I, I was struck by the fact that this line continued along the side of the rock and kept on going, where the one above it. The, the, it represents the technological world that we're in right now, and um, estranged from the Creator, and estranged from from what is real in your heart. Um, the, the Hopi had make this, this distinction between one heart and two hearts. If you have one heart, you're you're rooted along this lower line. But you, if you have two hearts, you're kind of it's kind of like saying you're two faced or you're you're um, you're duplicitous or you're um, you're okay. kind of you're you're kind of schizoid, you know, <laughs> like you know the, the old King Crimson uh, song, Twentieth Century Schizoid Man, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're you're lured in by all this technology, and this is happening, you know. In, on the reservation too, you know, people have to go to Phoenix, and Flagstaff, and and uh, play or urban areas to, in order to work. They they come off the reservation, and they have to work. So uh, okay. know, there's, there's always this this uh, stress stressful time we're in. You know, the end of the of the fourth world. So okay. I, hey, hey. I think we'll make it through. I think we'll make it through, Mark. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, good, good, we only have about uh, 30 seconds left, and I just want to thank you for being a guest. Uh, good thank you, check Mark. Out, uh, I Gary appreciate Dayton. it. Barbara, you, you take care. You you stay healthy, both of you, and yeah, uh, hopefully you too, we, can, we can talk again sometime when it's not so crazy. Okay, and Barbara wants to have you on. Uh, hey, Barbara, uh, you, you can uh, wrap up the show. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, okay, I I think both of you did an amazing job tonight and certainly made me very curious as well as a lot of other people. So we really do look forward to having you back on. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Join us again tomorrow for Mary uh, Joyce and then again next Monday and Tuesday. Have a good evening, everybody. Good night. <laughs>